Let's turn together to 2 Corinthians chapter 7. We're going to continue part two of the message uh, from last week. Conflict, confusion, and correction. Is it worth the risk? Um, and let's just pray. Fathers, we sit under your word as we come to your word. We, we thank you for the varied and rich instruction and truth and grace that it gives to us, Lord. And today we discuss a subject that we maybe wouldn't pursue on our own, Lord. But the scriptures bring it to us, and it's one that's very important in our lives, that of correction, bringing and receiving correction. So, Father, we just want to sit under your word. We want to put away our conceptions and really yield ourselves to what your word says. Lord, minister your truth to us this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So just a quick recap from last week. I opened by sharing a story. My dad and I lived on a sailboat for a year. The longer you're here, the more you will hear that, and you'll get to know that's just like, oh yeah, it's a sailboat story. Um, but this one summer, we spent sailing around Long Island, and at one point, we took off from Montauk Point and headed out to Block Island, Rhode Island, which is about 25 miles off uh, the coast of, of Montauk Point. So for much of our trip, we could not see land in any direction. There's just an ocean in every direction, and we had to completely depend upon the coordinates in our compass to get us to Block Island so we didn't just sail right past it and never saw it. There was no visible marker. And every so often we had to course correct because the wind and the, the waves are knocking you off course. In 2 Corinthians chapter 7, Paul resumes this personal story that he has with the Corinthians that he, he shared in chapter 1 and, verse two, and chapter 2. This is what's going on. The church in Corinth has gotten way off course. They are way off course. They are a really messed up church. They are full of sexual immorality, divisions. You had people fighting each other in the church. You had um, um, pride. You had abuse of spiritual gifts. And there were false teachers that were uh, coming into the church that they were listening to. And these false teachers were bringing heresy that was turning their hearts away from the gospel and also were trying to purposely turn the hearts of the Corinthians against Paul. So all of this is going on, and Paul brings correction to all that mess, starting in a letter that we now know as 1 Corinthians. Well, that correction didn't go well. They didn't receive it well. Things got awkward between Paul and the Corinthian church. Tension grew between the two. So Paul decided, I know what I'll do. I'm going to go there in person. I will visit them, and we will work things out in person. So Paul makes a trip to, the, to Corinth, and things go downhill. That trip is a, is, a, is a mess. It's a complete failure. Paul leaves Corinth, upset about how it went, distressed, frustrated, maybe even a little angry, and Paul then does something that we should never do. In the heat of the moment, in his frustration, in his anger, in his concern, he sits down and he writes a blistering letter, what he calls a severe letter. And he sends it. 
And as soon as he sends it, he regrets. He second guesses whether he should have sent that letter. And so at this point, Paul must be wondering, how did we get here? How did things get to this point? The correction, Paul knows, is needed. It was biblical, but he's not sure he handled it correctly. You know, you can have the correct counsel and give it incorrectly. Paul's not sure. Did he, did he word it too strongly? Did he come on too strong? He's worried that he's damaged, maybe even destroyed his relationship with this church that he loves, a church that he founded. Correction has created conflict. Conflict has led to confusion. And Paul is, is sailing these troubled waters of correction, conflict, confusion, and he has no idea. The great Apostle Paul cannot see where this thing is going. There's no land in sight. And it's eating away at Paul. So in chapter 2, if you remember, uh, he's in Troas, he's ministering. God begins to bless ministry. And, when, and as God is opening doors for ministry, Paul says, but I was so, I could not rest. My mind was so troubled because Titus wasn't there. And so he actually could not focus on all this wonderful ministry that God is doing. So Paul leaves this ministry, this beautiful open door, and he travels to Macedonia. And Titus isn't there. And so Paul writes that he's, he's in Macedonia and he still has no rest. He's got conflict. He's got fear within. All this is bothering him. And then Titus shows up. And we then learn why Titus coming was such a wonderful blessing. Because Titus returns from Corinth to Macedonia. Paul had sent Titus to Corinth to see how they were doing to see how they responded to his letter. And Titus comes back with wonderful news. Paul, they love you there. They're brokenhearted over what's gone on. They're repenting all over the place. They long to see you. They're concerned for you. And that's like a, that's like a huge weight off of Paul's shoulders. He's breathed a sigh of relief. Everything he intended for that correction to produce in them, it happened. There were times he couldn't see the land. He couldn't see the destination. But he, he guided the ship and God guided the ship and brought them to the place where good fruit was happening. The correction produced the heart Paul intended for it to produce all along. We're looking at correction. We're looking at correction. Let's be honest. I hate being corrected. I did when I was a kid. It hasn't gotten any better since I've gotten older. I, I, I don't like giving correction. And you probably don't either. And if you do, you scare me. The person that loves to give correction scares me. Most of us, let's, let's be honest, we don't like giving correction to people. We do not like getting correction. So why in the world even do it? Well, that's what we looked at last week. We looked at four reasons why we need correction in our lives. It's an important expression of love. It can help someone avoid impending danger and disgrace. 
it touches on our identity in very unique ways. And correction helps us to improve. Now here's the thing. All this is assuming that correction is given correctly at the right time in the right way or at least in the orbit of the right way and the right time this morning we're gonna look at how we are to bring correction at least some coordinates that we get from paul's example with the corinthians and the first coordinate i want to suggest from paul and his relationship with the the corinthians is this we should ask the question am i Am I the right one to bring this correction? Am I the right one to bring this correction? 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 15, Paul writes this to the Corinthians. He says, For though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the Gospel. Paul had a deep relationship with the Corinthians. Now let me just share something before we move on here. Because we've been focusing for the last two weeks on correction. And if you remember, I mean, it's a painful subject. Uh, I gave you the out for you to schedule like a root canal or something and miss this service today. You knew it was coming. Um, But listen, we're focusing on correction, but I don't want us to think that correction is meant to be a big part of our lives. Like we're to be going around giving correction and receiving correction all the time. Years ago, Grace Community Church was part of a network of churches that went through a phase. You know, churches can go through phases. It went through a phase where it was the big thing to give observations. You gave observations. And uh, they, people handed out observations like Tic Tacs. You know, people were just giving observations constantly. Uh, you know, I, basically an observation is this. I see you doing something wrong. Can I tell you what it is? Can I give an observation about your life? And so everybody was looking for someone they could give an observation to. Could I make an observation about how you're parenting your kids? Could I, could I share an observation about your marriage and how you relate together could i share an observation about the clothes that you're wearing and so you're getting observations and uh and giving observations and and what happens you start to get a little twitchy coming to church you don't know who's going to come to you and say can i share an observation you know you're trying to deal with some situation but you're also in the back of your mind thinking is somebody watching and observing and going to share with me what i did wrong you, you, you just, that's what you begin to think about. It's not healthy for a church to constantly be thinking about correcting each other. Amen? Come on, you can do better than that. Amen? It's just not healthy to be walking around correcting people all the time or even to want to be correcting. It's, I don't even think it's that healthy to want to be corrected all the time. I think it should be pretty rare. I mean, we are adults. Except for the kids. Kids, correction is a big part of your life right now. So embrace it, love it. Thank mom and dad. You know, it's a great part. But as we become adults, we're adults. We have God's word. We have the Holy Spirit. We don't need to be every time somebody does something to be saying something. 
we don't want to be correction community church. We want to be grace community church. We want to be a church marked by grace, not correction. We don't want people to feel they're going to be corrected for who they are. We want them to feel they're going to be accepted for who they are when they walk through these doors. Correction has two basic functions. One, it's course correction when someone is significantly going off the rails. A sin, something that is, that is um, particularly... And, and let, me, let me just say, I'm, I'm sharing principles now. There, there are exceptions to these. This is not like, okay, never do it this and never do But these are big principles. Primarily correction is for big issues. When someone's going off course, or correction can be constructive criticism to help someone improve. Think of the Blue Angels illustration from last week. But the first question I think we want to ask is, am I even the right person to give this correction? If someone sins against you, then you probably are the right person to bring that correction. But if it's not against us personally, we do well to ask, do I have the relationship that gives me a voice to speak into this person's life? The heavier the correction I'm trying to bring across to somebody, the stronger the bridge of relationship needs to be. Paul checked all the boxes with the Corinthians. He was their founding apostle. He was their father in the faith. He invested years of his life teaching and discipling them. And he loved them dearly. So we want to ask, do I have the relationship? Do I have the voice? Am I the right person? Just because we see someone going off course doesn't necessarily mean we're the right ones to bring correction. Just because we see something doesn't necessarily mean we're supposed to say something. Sometimes God just wants us to pray for someone and not say anything at that moment. So the first question is, am I the right person? Lord, guide me. Spirit of God, speak to me. Do I have some of the things necessary for this to be a fruitful conversation? Secondly, correction should always be motivated by and an expression of love. Look with me at verse 2 of 2 Corinthians 7. Paul writes this, Make room for us in your hearts. We have wronged no one. We have corrupted no one. We have exploited no one. I do not say this to condemn you. I have said before that you have such a place in our hearts that we would live or die with you. Paul makes it so clear that he loves them so much. His heart is open to them. He's been vulnerable with them. We've seen that. His agenda is clear. He wants them to flourish. He wants them to grow in Christ his influence in them. He has not wronged anybody. He has not corrupted anyone. He has not exploited anyone for his own agenda. He has not condemned anyone. His correction, the only agenda on his correction is love for them. That's his agenda. Our flesh can want to correct people for a lot of agendas that are not love. Not love. I remember uh, 
I've been remembering actually recently some corrections, quote unquote, that I gave to um, the youth pastor at Lamb's Chapel many years ago, about 30 years ago at this point. And I cringe when I think of some of those moments. There weren't many of them, but there were a couple of moments. I was a new pastor. He was a brand new youth pastor. We were trying to figure it all out. And there were a couple of times where he messed up in ways that seemed significant. God always worked it out. But you know, when you're at the front end of a mess up, you, you just, you, you think, what, this is going to be terrible. This is going to destroy some. And I, I just, I remember one particular thing where he really messed up that could have really had a big significant endpoint. And I just remember really just tearing him down, just tearing him down to the studs. I was so disappointed. I was so angry. Just, just really, I mean, I, I wasn't yelling at him, but I was saying, you know, just harsh things because I wanted to drive home how badly he had messed up. Vinny was his name. Patrick and Lisa Pearl know him if they're watching. They know him. And the more I would rail to try to get just how bad this mess up was, how he never can do that again, and how all these things the quieter Vinny would get. Like, he wasn't a guy who would fight back. He got quieter and more withdrawn. Which only made me more angry because I wanted him to say, yes, I did so horrible. I'm so, I'm so sorry. I don't know what I wanted. What do you want when you're angry at somebody? You just you want satisfaction, but satisfaction, it doesn't come when they get quiet. Satisfaction doesn't come when they yell back. And it doesn't even come when they say, I'm really sorry. You just get more angry. I just got more angry the quieter he got. I wanted him to admit how wrong he was. My correction of him was not motivated by love. It was motivated. I was venting. And I'm sad to say I've done the same thing with others over the years. It's an area God's had to work with me on and continues to work with me on. And maybe that's true of you as well. When we set the compass for love, the coordinates for love, let me tell you what love is not. The coordinates for love is not always saying what the other person wants to hear. All right? That's not the coordinates for love. Sometimes when you set the compass for love, you have to say something the other person really doesn't want to hear. But here's what love does set the coordinate for. What is best for that person? That's the coordinate of love. That's what love is. God is love. That means everything He does is for the best. It's for our best. It sets the coordinate. Christian love wants to see someone flourish spiritually, grow in Christ, do well. And correction is meant to to help move things that are hindering them from doing well. So that they live in the goodness of the Gospel. Because we love them and we want what's best for them. So love guides our words and it guides our tones. It's not harsh, it's not cutting, it's not demeaning, it's not belittling. Our tone is appealing, it's concerned, it's encouraging, it's not disrespectful. Our words and our tones should be characterized by grace. So before we bring correction to someone, we want to examine our hearts. Is love motivating my, this correction? Or is there some other agenda at play? 
And when someone brings correction to us, that's a good question to ask too. Is this a correction of love? Man, this hurts. But I know that they want my best. Is very different than man, this hurts. And I don't. I think they're just. I think they have a. They want to manipulate me. They want to control me. They want to abuse me. They want to. They want to get something for themselves. They're just angry at me. You know, when someone comes with that to you, when someone comes like that to me with correction, I think we, we still listen to what they have to say. We still weigh it in light of Scripture, but it's going to have far less weight. When someone comes and, they, and you know they love you and they want what's best, it should carry some weight. And that's how we want to go to others. Thirdly, the expression of love is vital. This is another point. The strength of our correction should mirror the strength of clear biblical teaching. The issues Paul was correcting the Corinthians over were serious biblical issues. Immorality, heresy, division, pride, abuse, and lack of love. Paul didn't correct them based on opinion. He corrected based on God's Word. He reminds a young pastor named Timothy in in his second letter to him that all Scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good word. We can only be as strong in our correction as Scripture is clear in what we're talking about. We can teach, rebuke, correct, And train Scripture to people. But it's got to be based on God's Word, not on our opinions. If someone is committing adultery, we are able to say with a clear voice, that is wrong. That is sinful. You need to repent. You need to stop. That is going to destroy you and your family. We can be clear. We don't need to mince words. Now, if someone says to you that they happen to love polka music, You can't bring correction. You can appeal to them. You can ask them to put the accordion down. But you cannot correct them with a strong voice because God's Word does not say anything about polka music. Now seriously, there are so many differences that people can have that the Bible doesn't clearly address. Different opinions, different perspectives. There is latitude in the Bible for Christians to disagree about certain things. People who love Jesus can have different perspectives on different things. And I may not have the same convictions that you have and vice versa. So one of the mistakes that Christians can make is take a principle and turn it into a biblical command. And begin to think that the Scripture commands to always do this when it's a principle. How we handle our finances. There's some wonderful biblical truth on that and principles. But we shouldn't go around commanding people to do things that Scripture advises. How we raise our children. Where we draw the line on gray issues can differ from person to person. And we shouldn't correct people for having a different conviction or doing things differently than we do. So the correction we bring, and when I say strong correction, even when there's biblical command, Paul writes to Timothy, correct them gently. We shouldn't use harsh, cutting words. We can be strong, 
but we should be gentle. Fourth thought from this coordinate, fourth coordinate is correction doesn't need to be perfect to be just what we need to hear. Listen to what Paul says in chapter 7, verse 8. Even if I caused you sorrow by my letter, I do not regret it. Though I did regret it, I see that my letter hurt you. But only for a little while. Yet now I'm happy. Not because you were made sorry, but because your sorrow led you to repentance. For you became sorrowful as God intended, and so were not harmed in any way by us. Have you ever silenced someone's correction to you because they didn't bring it in exactly the right way? Have you ever done that? I know I've done that. You pick apart the words. You pick apart the tone. You pick apart the timing. And because they didn't bring it in the exact perfect way, well, I would, I would listen to your correction, but, I, but, but, but you didn't give me enough runway. You, didn't, you, brought it, you sprang it on me too quickly. Or you do the same thing. Or whatever. And because it's not perfect, we're just like deflecting. We talked about that last week. We're deflecting it. The reality is sometimes in the fog of correction or constructive criticism, we don't get it right. Paul wasn't sure. If Paul, the apostle, isn't sure, I wrote you a letter and I don't regret it. But actually, I did regret it. There was a period of time where it was eating me alive. I knew it would hurt you. But now I don't regret it. Now I'm happy. Paul didn't know. He couldn't see land. He had no idea how this thing was going to land in their lives. If Paul wasn't sure he brought it correctly, I know I'm probably going to mess up. And I know the person trying to bring correction to me isn't going to do it perfectly either. So let's just admit together that we're never going to get it 100% right. We're never going to get it 100% right. And let's be receptive humble enough to receive correction, even if that person doesn't bring it correctly. And let's, let's aim for love and faith to believe that when we bring imperfect correction out of an agenda of love, that God will do good things through it. My last point this morning from this scripture is this. The last coordinate we, we need to put into the compass. Sometimes hurting helps. Sometimes hurting helps. There is a book that was written some years ago called When Helping Hurts. And it's an insightful book about how sometimes efforts for charity end up doing more harm than good. They're well-intentioned. But sometimes when we just give things to people, just give money to people, um, it just reinforces a poverty mindset in them. And it doesn't actually strengthen them, it weakens them. And so our good intentions can end up making us feel good about what we did, but actually doing more harm than good. Sometimes helping hurts. And sometimes hurting helps. Paul puts it this way. Again, reading verse 8. Even if I caused you sorrow by my letter, I do not regret it. 
Though I did regret it, I see that my letter hurt you, but only for a little while. Yet I am now happy, because not because you were made sorry, but because your sorrow led you to repentance. For you became sorrowful as God intended, and so were not harmed in any way by us. Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. But worldly sorrow brings death. See what this godly sorrow has produced in you. What earnestness, what eagerness to clear yourselves. What indignation, what alarm, what longing, what concern, what readiness to see justice done. At every point, you have proved yourselves to be innocent in this matter. Now there is far more in these verses than we can do justice to this morning. But the main point I think that Paul is saying is the hurt he inflicted by his correction produced sorrow that led to repentance. Soft hearts that repented. And repentance sprang forth in all kinds of good fruit in their lives. We should never want to harm anyone. Should never want the harm of anyone. Paul says they were sorrowful the way God intended and were not harmed in any way. They were hurt, but they were not harmed. There is a difference. That hurt began to work on their hearts, softening them towards God. They repented. They did an about face. And they began to press in towards God. And it strengthened their relationship with Paul. Sometimes hurting helps. That's the destination we should always be aiming at. If we're doing something to harm somebody, it's the wrong thing. But if we have to say words that might hurt in the short run, but God can use to bring healing and repentance, that hurt can be an expression of love. I still don't like correction, folks. I don't like giving it. I don't like getting it. I think it should be fairly rare. But there are times when love dictates it. Even constructive criticism. I, I remember... Uh, you know, one of the first times uh, I met this guy who was a musician, was doing studio work, and he came to hear me play a concert back when I did coffee houses, you know. And, uh, and I really wanted his approval. And he, he said nice things about everything, but he then questioned why I played the guitar the way I did. I was a banger. All one dynamic. Bang. And he said, have you ever thought about like, trying different dynamics, soft life? And it, it was like, at first, it was like, I felt deflated. But in the long run, it, it helped me. Constructive criticism can be a good thing for us to help us improve. We need it sometimes. Course correction. As we close this morning, sometimes when we give or receive correction, we're not going to see the destination clearly. We may not know what's going on. We may not know how it's going to work out, how it's going to turn out. So there's one more coordinate we need to plug into our compass. Faith. Faith. 
We need to trust God with it. When someone brings a correction to us, we need to believe that God is speaking and God will help us. God will help us glean what we're supposed to glean and help us to not glean what's not from the Lord's heart. When we're bringing someone correction, I'm nervous. I'm, I'm always concerned. I'm okay with that. But I need to trust God. You do too. God has a purpose for that. Trust in the Lord and pray. That person belongs to God. And you belong to God. And it's all about His will, not ours. So put that compass, steer it towards faith in God and trust Him. It can be messy, but it's messy grace at work. Let's pray together. Father, we ask you to give us humble hearts and wise hearts. Lord, we don't want to be a church marked by correction. We want grace to flow. But part of love is sometimes bringing and receiving correction, painful as it is. Help us to have humble hearts, teachable hearts, courageous hearts, loving hearts. And Lord, help us to remember, ultimately, the boat isn't ours, it's yours. The destination isn't ours, it's yours. And any part we play, we want it to be for your glory, for your purposes, and as an expression of your love. So Lord, I pray you help us get this right, individually, in our, the context of our marriage, our family, our friends, our co-workers. Help us to get this right. Help us to grow in this area. All for the glory of Jesus Christ. Because we want to be hard after him together. And we don't want to stagnate. We want to make progress. And correction is a part of crop progress. So God, we ask you, help, help, help. And we give you the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you. Have a wonderful week.